Welcome to Women Who Rebrand. I'm thrilled to have Yana, a licensed clinical social worker, coach, wife, and mum with me here today. Ayana is a passionate advocate for helping others live without worry and anxiety. As a healer, survivor, and expert, she empowers her clients to find their wisdom and make life-changing shifts. In this episode, we'll be discussing Ayana's work, helping those on their journey to breaking free from limiting beliefs while understanding attachment styles and finally breaking free from codependency. Get ready to take away from this episode a newfound understanding of how to live a life free of anxiety, worry, and putting others first. It's time to choose you. Hello, Ayana. Thank you so much for joining us. I am so interested in this topic. I cannot wait. Oh my gosh. (laughs) For having me, I'm so happy to be here and, you know, give people some good information about this topic. Yes, please, because I have had so many people ask me questions about codependency. We've touched upon um, relationship styles and um, communication on the podcast in the past, but we've never really delved into codependency and um, the different styles of communication in relationships. So I think this is definitely going to be the one. I can't (laughs) wait. So, yeah. (laughs) This is episode 45, Breaking Free from Codependency and Understanding Attachment Styles. And it's the attachment styles, I think, um, a lot of people don't necessarily understand, which is just an interesting topic, especially for me, because I love all this kind of psychology stuff. Um, So, yeah, um, Ayana, you offer a range of um, coaching courses that helps clients take action and to commit to reaching their higher potential and basically transforming their lives whilst acknowledging accountability and their shadow side, which we did discuss last week on the podcast. Um, Are your services for those who are completely healed and ready to take action? Or can I take it slow and kind of work alongside you, work on the way? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't think we're ever fully healed, you know, hopefully, um, you know, if we're conscious and we want to, you know, grow, we continue to do that for the rest of our lives. So absolutely not. You don't have to have arrived at a specific place to, you know, contact me or begin services with me. Um, Often people do come to me for coaching or for therapy because, you know, they're recognizing that there is an issue or there is, um, you know, they kind of feel stuck Mm -hmm. and they may have some ideas about why they are stuck, but they're coming to me so that I can help facilitate their, their continued growth uh, and healing. So no, you don't have to be, we're never finished product. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You have to be open and willing to learn. So, so not many people or do some people know what their issues are before they come to you or do they literally find out whilst they're working with you? Um, I think it's both, right? Mm -hmm. So I think some, you know, people will definitely come to me and say, this is the problem that I want to work on. Or, um, you know, this is what continues to happen to me in relationships or in jobs or, you know, um, in certain scenarios. And they will, you know, often be very well versed in what they think is the problem with them moving to the next level. Um, But through the process of us working together, they may discover things about themselves that they weren't fully aware of 
or they were aware of, but they may have been in denial about. Mm-hmm. So um, the only thing that I require people to, to, to have or to be is open, you know, mm-hmm. and be willing to learn. So you don't have to know it all. Um, or you may say, this is the way I show up in certain scenarios in life, but I don't entirely understand all the reasons for for that. And that's my job to kind of help you see things from a different perspective um, and and gain greater insight into your life. Mm. And what sort of um, fears or anxieties do clients possibly have when first coming to you? Because I've spoken to lots of people who've gone to therapists and, you know, I've spoken to therapists as well. And the main things, like you said, is just be open, be honest, because it's really difficult to work with someone who really doesn't know what to say or isn't ready to talk. Do you, do you have clients that possibly may have anxieties or nervousness and how do you get them to come out of their shell? Yeah. So I would say 95% of my clients have an anxiety diagnosis. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. And I think that, you know, my clientele has kind of developed in that way because I have an anxiety diagnosis. Um, so I know what it's like to feel anxious. I know what it's like to sometimes feel like you have to be perfect or you have to have everything figured out or know exactly what to say. Um, and so I think that because I'm open and honest about that, you know, people maybe will see my profile sometimes and say, okay, this might be a person who might understand me. You know, um, that doesn't mean though that when they show up in the therapy room or in the coaching space, that all of that goes away and then all of a sudden they're talkative or all of a sudden they have all the answers. Um, And so what I really try to do is make people feel safe. You know, I try to let people know that I'm not judging you. You know, um, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all the answers, you know, um, and this is a journey that we go on together. And I think when I create a safe space where people, you know, tell me something that maybe they felt nervous about telling other people or, you know, they describe a scenario that they went through and I'm not like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and laugh about it. You yeah. know, their anxiety um, is lowered and then they start to say, okay, well, this is a space where I can really express my thoughts. Um, something else that I always tell my clients is you're not crazy, you know, mm. because people often think that working with a therapist or working with a coach means, you know, they're totally messed up. Um, you know, they're totally going in the wrong direction in life. They don't have it together. And I always let people know that, you know, that's not the case. That's not what's happening here. The fact that you reached out and that you're seeking greater insight or you're seeking, you know, some healing means that, you know, you're on the right path. Mm. But whenever we're on a path, you know, we look at roadsides, you know, signs on, on the side of the road that says go this way or go that way. That's my role. It's like going to help or help you orient or help you go in, in a different direction. But it doesn't mean that you're flawed or it doesn't mean that you're messed up. It doesn't mean that you're hopeless. Mm. So I try to normalize seeking insight and seeking a greater understanding of who you are and what you are. So people realize that there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, that's really the healthiest way to approach life. Mm, yeah, there's loads of misconceptions in terms of getting um, therapy or coaching. And like you said, the main one, basically, well, you're mad or there's something wrong. But then right. I'm like, do you know what? I, if 
if it could be readily available, I just think everyone should have a coach or therapy because it's just that person to speak to that's completely yeah. have has no connection with your life, no connection with your friends, right. family. And that kind of, for me, would make it a lot easier to just speak to someone. And again, yeah. not coming with that judgment. That right. is so important. So important. Yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately, in, 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 you know, Western society, I mean, and, you know, probably all of society, there there's not necessarily a value on, like, growing your inner self or, you know, thinking about your emotional um, state of mind and well-being. There's this emphasis on making money and having this kind of job and, you know, and we view status, you know, in a way that can be quantified. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my opinion, like people who are emotionally healthy, who are open, doesn't mean they have to be perfect, but they know like, you know, what's in here and what's in here is just as important as the house I live in or the car that I drive. I feel like that's important, you know. Um, So we as a society, as a global society, need to embrace normalizing people working on themselves, normalizing people taking time for their emotional health and well-being um, so that there will be funding for things like therapy, you know, that there will be, um, you know, less stigma about reaching out for a therapist or a coach because that's the way people are going to be healed. That's the way mm. society grow. So. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just that wholeness, like you said, in terms of everything I was speaking to a guest the other day and she was saying um she works um as like a self-care kind of coach but it wasn't Mm -hmm. just the fact of like you know pampering on the outside it's not about what we look like or what we've got it's like financial well-being social well-being and your spirit and your energy is just there's just so much to it in terms of the work that you can do on yourself and yeah Mm -hmm. unfortunately a lot of people are kind of goal orientated in terms of wealth and, you know, status yeah. and stuff like that. But I just don't think it's sustainable. That's why we have things like burnout. It, it comes to, you know, a halt and your body will tell you when it's had your enough. Down or, you know, your mind will shut you down. You'll feel yeah. like I can't go further. Yeah. And the thing is, nobody teaches us how to take care of ourselves, right? No. Like. If you want to be, you know, I'm a, a clinical social worker, psychotherapist by training. I went to school for that. I had to pass a licensing exam. I had to do all these certifications. You know, I drive a car. I had to take a test. You know, there was a, a course <laughs> for each of the things, you know, that I've done, uh, many other things that I've done in my life, you know, um, and somebody really taught me how to do those things. But nobody really teaches kids how to regulate their emotions or, you know, how to pay attention to their body and say like, you know, my heart is racing or I'm sweating or I have, you know, a, a, a pounding headache. What is happening for me? You know, how do I take care of myself or how to evaluate how they show up in relationships? Those are things that, you know, most people start to become curious about into their adulthood. Some people get it and some people don't, you know, and that, and, And these are things that are just as important for our existence as human beings. And so, you know, I'm here to try to help people figure those things out because I needed to figure them out and still do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it's like those formative years that kind of do help form us and put us into, I guess, where we're going to be in terms of our mind and our thinking and our experiences, which does lead us into 
as we were talking about <laughs> attachment styles, because um, I've done some research and obviously I don't know everything about it. I'm not a psychologist. And yeah. um, I've heard that it is kind of your experiences growing up, um, possibly parenting, but also friends and different things in school that form and shape you. Um, yeah. But in terms of attachment styles, does mm-hmm. that impact people's ability to trust themselves and their own decisions? Yes. So, um, you know, there are lots of definitions that we could um, review about attachment style. But essentially, you know, attachment style is the way that you think about and the way that you show up in relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and there are four major types of attachment style Um the attachment style that everybody has identified as the healthiest is, is secure, right? And so uh, all of the literature and attachment, all the research and all the literature seems to point to um, our attachment styles being formed by our formative years and our relationship with our caregivers, right? So you're a baby, you're born, you can do nothing for yourself. You know, you can't feed yourself, you can't clothe yourself, you can't stand up, you you know, nothing. You're totally dependent on another human being. And then obviously, as you get older, you you know, you develop more independence. But, you know, the thinking is that the way that our caregivers attend to our needs in our very early um, days and very early experiences shapes what we come to expect, um, about relationships and how people will show up for us or not show up for us. And then also, you know, what we think about ourselves and the, the, you know, the ways that we think about why people treat us the way that they do. So someone who is securely attached is someone whose caregivers essentially met their needs as often as they, as a need arrived. No, you know, does that mean that, you know, they never cried as a baby or they were never, you know, in a diaper <laughs> too long? No, but it means that their caregiver, caregiver kind of created an environment in which they felt well cared for. They felt that when they needed something that those needs were met, they felt loved, they felt, you know, protected from the elements and um, they felt important, you know, and that they and what their experiences were were important. Um, so yeah, um, our parents, or you know, some people are not raised by their parents, but whomever their care, you know, givers are, or their primary um, authority figures, um, the way that they relate to us shapes who we become. And if someone, alternatively, if our caregivers did not meet our needs, you know, um, or often made us feel abandoned. Then, you know, um, for example, we could develop an anxious attachment style where we're always worrying that somebody's going to leave us or we're always worrying that, you know, any type of development in the relationship that may not seem 100 percent positive is indicative that this person is going to exit our lives or they're not going to be able to meet our needs, you know, the way we, we want them to. And also when you're anxiously attached, you think there, there's probably something wrong with me. Or I'm probably not enough. And that's why the person, you know, is probably going to abandon me. Or that's why I have to make sure that I do everything I can to keep this person in a relationship with me. Because for them to, you know, decide they don't want to be with me or decide that they want to interact with me in a different way um, would mean that I'm not enough. Or I did something wrong. So, yeah. Um, Childhood is really important. (laughs) Yeah. 
I'm feeling quite bad as a parent now. I'm like, okay, how have I scarred my children? I don't know. <laughs> so well, there's the cure and um, anxious. Right? So there are four types, right? Mm-hmm. Secure, um, anxious, um, dis- dismissive or avoidant, mm-hmm. uh, and disorganized, right? Okay. So um, avoidant or dismissive is someone who, you know, has a hard time kind of giving of themselves or has a hard time like being vulnerable in a relationship. So they may be in a relationship, but whenever someone wants to come close to them and wants them to be vulnerable or wants them to really give up themselves, they will oftentimes like pull back, you know, and sometimes, um, you know, um, it's almost like they have a wall or it's almost like they can only go, um, so far with you in terms of like an intimacy, not sexual intimacy per se, but, you know, emotional, spiritual, psychological intimacy. Um, And that's because probably this is what they have been taught by their parent or their caregiver that, you know, it's okay to be in relationship, but sometimes like there's too, it's too much, you know, somebody can be too much. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to pull back a little bit. Um, And that's why it's, avoidant it's called avoidant or it's called um dismissive Mm -hmm. right because it's like um when someone needs something from you and you sense that they're trying to pull from you emotionally or psychologically your um instinct is to be like "Mm, i don't know know." um and then disorganized is um kind of a mixture of anxious um and avoidant and secure, like sometimes you can show up, sometimes you can be avoidant, sometimes, you know, or dismissive, sometimes you can be like, you know, very clingy. Um, and that's because the caregivers were inconsistent. Like sometimes they met your needs, sometimes they, you know, were like, what, you know, I can't take you. Sometimes they were, you know, they abandoned you altogether. And so just those people don't necessarily have a clear pattern of how they show up. Um, And so if you're looking at them from the outside, from the outside in and how they show up in relationships, it seems like, okay, well, they're doing this all over the place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those are the four kinds. Oh, yeah. Wow. And that's funny because I was actually going to ask, is it possible to have a mixture of all of them? But yeah, Mm -hmm. there absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah, it is possible. Um, The good thing, though, is that it's also possible to regardless of your attachment style to kind of work on those things and try to heal them. Mm -hmm. So even if you're an anxiously attached person, it doesn't mean that you're always going to like glom all over your partner, (laughs) (laughs) you know, or smother them or always be desperate for them not to leave you. Um, You know, the important thing is to kind of figure out what your attachment style is, you know, become familiar with the ways that you tend to show up in relationships um, develop an awareness of like the signs that you may be kind of, you know, going into a, an unhealthy relationship with somebody and then to actively try to work on, work on the ways that you show up and make them healthier. It's not easy, but it's possible. Mm. So how does someone actually determine their attachment style? Obviously there's traits, but if you're like, well, <laughs> I don't know, avoidant, are you really going to be realistically going to be like, yes, I'm avoidant. I'm going to admit it. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to do that. How can you actually authentically um, yeah. recognize those traits? 
So there are a lot of quizzes. Okay. I love a quiz. <laughs> right. Um, there are lots of quizzes that you can do online. Um, and they just ask, you know, a bunch of questions about kind mm -hmm. of, you know, what's your tendency in a relationship or, you know, what kind of scenarios do you find yourself most often in when you're in relationship with someone? And then based on how you answer those questions, you know, it will spit out, you know, one of the attachment styles for you. And, um, I've done like millions of these things and consistent. My answer is pretty consistent. So okay. even though you don't necessarily know every, you know, every time you type in something on the internet, if it's going to give you inform good information, um, I would say overall those those um, quizzes tend to be accurate. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you can also read a lot about attachment. Um, there's a book called, um, oh, and I thought I was going to have it. I forgot. Um, called Attached, um, and there's lots of you know literature that you can read. Um, you know that breaks down this like very complicated psychological research into, you know, digestible and concrete, you know, handsable, um, you know, um, formats so that you can, you know, as you're reading it, you're like, oh, okay, that's me, you know, so you begin mm. to recognize yourself, right? Um, another way that you can find out what your attachment style is, is by working with a therapist, you know, um, you know, there are therapists who really work a lot around attachment styles. And even for people who it's not necessarily all that they do, you know, they know the basics enough to say, okay, I see how you show up with your partner, or I see how you show up with your family. You know, this is what I'm thinking about you, or this is what I'm, you know, this is how I would categorize the way that you show up. And then the question becomes, you know, do you want to work on that? You know, um, if it's a problem for you, probably so. If it's causing, you know, dysfunction in your relationship or if your partner is saying like, you know, you're not meeting my needs, you know, those tend to be the ways that people, you know, become aware of their attachment style. And then for the people who actively work on it, it's usually because they feel like they want to be better or, or they want to, you know, gain greater insight so that they can have a healthier relationship moving forward. Hmm. If someone didn't work on sort of the unhealthy kind of attachment styles that they have, is that mm -hmm. something that could get progressively worse within their relationship? Or obviously the relationship will end, but then if they haven't worked on it, will that cycle just continue with each partner that they attract? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, the way that we show up in relationships is not only um, based on our attachment style, but also sometimes based on the person that we're in a relationship with. Right. So mm -hmm. I think that there are there's like a spectrum, you know, whether you're anxious, whether you're um, dismissive or avoidant or whether you're secure or whether you're disorganized, you know, the way that you demonstrate the behavior that falls under those categories, you know, exists on a spectrum, right? Which is not just based on who you are, but, you know, who's interacting with you. Um, so I think that there are times where, you know, regardless of your attachment style, you might be in a relationship with one person and that relationship might be more successful than it would be if you were in another one because of who they are and, and your particular dynamic. Mm -hmm. But I do think that, you know, if we, if we take a look at, at all the relationships that we may have had in our lives, I'm sure that there's like a golden thread, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. common 
denominator in terms of behavioral patterns and stuff, right? So um, I think that if you have a problematic attachment style, or if, I I don't want to say problematic, because, you know, if you have ways that you show up in relationships that can create problems, um, obviously, if you don't get present to those things, and you're not actively aware of them, and you're not actively trying to heal them, it can be very destructive in your relationship, you know, and, um, you know, you can go literally from one relationship to another doing the same thing, showing up as essentially, you know, almost the same person and never really grow. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that some things are mitigated by age and by life experience, you know, so, you know, the older you get, you might say like, okay, so the way that I show up showed up in that last relationship wasn't really great. I want to be less of this or a little more of that. I mean, so it's a combination of all these things. But I think that if you consistently say, I, you know, I have these disastrous relationships, or I have these relationships where things tend to be, you know, pretty good in the beginning, and then they kind of devolve, or I'm getting the same feedback from all my partners, or even like all my friends, you know, that I'm like, you know, dismissive or I'm cold or, you know, I'm clingy, you know, that's, there's probably some truth to that, Mm -hmm. you know, and that might be something that you want to take a look at. And that might be something that you want to work on more intentionally so that, you know, when you find yourself in another relationship, or even if you're in relationships now that you don't want to lose, you know, you can actively be working to try to make those relationships healthier. Mm. So it just boils down to kind of just acknowledging your part within the relationship as well. Because I think that's what I've heard before in terms of like couples therapy and stuff like that. It's not always about going into these um, situations and placing the blame elsewhere. You have to recognize, you know, your part in the the relationship and possibly the ongoing cycle as well. Right. The dynamic. Right. So, I mean a really like basic way of looking at relationships is saying, you know, this person is a jerk and this person is great. And if this person would just change their behavior, like everything would be, you know, fantastic. I mean, sometimes that's the case. Yeah. 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 Of course. (laughs) We all know couples like that. Right. But I think more often than not, when, if you want to, you know, take a more nuanced, look at things it's that you know this person has these tendencies and this person has those tendencies and when they kind of come together they create this dynamic that may not be healthy so what are the ways that this person can begin working on the things that they do that are counterproductive to their relationship based on their attachment style and what are the things that this person can do you know and can they kind of create a a new dynamic by learning Mm -hmm you know, new ways to talk about their needs or new ways to talk about what's happening for them right in the moment. So for example, someone who's dismissive and avoidant who, you know, may be in a relationship with someone who's anxious, when the anxious person starts getting, you know, like, I need you or I want more from you or I want to get close to you, you know, the dismissive avoidant person will be like, no, you know, and they'll start to put up a wall, they'll shut down, right? Um, that person might be able to say, you know, the way that, you know, this discussion that we're having right now or this issue that we're facing right now, it's making me, you know, a little bit uncomfortable. You know, there's a part of me that wants to 
run away or there's a part of me that's finding this difficult. I need a little bit of time to myself to just sit and kind of process and think about this. I don't want you to think that me pulling back a little bit or taking some time to myself means I don't want to be with you. Mm. But I just would really appreciate it if you could respect that. This is how I react when I feel pressure or where I feel anxious or where I feel confused. It doesn't mean anything about how much I care for you. I don't want you to take it personally. So please give me my time. But also, maybe at some point, we can come back to this conversation, right? So they're asking for what they need instead of just throwing up this wall and like stonewalling the person. They're also making an agreement at some point after they feel like they've kind of processed and had a chance to sit with their feelings that they will approach the person again and that they will be more willing to have the conversation. The anxious person like is like, please, 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 I need you, <laughs> right? Similarly, the anxious, anxiously attached person might say, um, you know, when you start to like shut down or when you start to be quiet or, you know, when I really want to talk about issues that are important to me in terms of our relationship and you don't have anything to say, that really kicks up my anxiety. It really makes me worry that, you know, you're going to change your mind about this relationship or that I've done too much or, you know, I, I'm I'm overwhelming you and it makes me feel nervous about, you know, the, the the longevity or whether or not you really want to be with me. Can you just understand that I'm feeling like that and that this is something that I also, you know, need to have, a, like, it's important for me to address this issue mm-hmm. so that I can kind of come down a little bit and understand, you know, how we resolve this. So... I respect the fact that you need a little bit of time. I'm willing to give you that time. But will you be willing to come back to me and talk to me about this issue? Or is there a way that you could reassure me in this moment that you're taking your time doesn't mean we're over, forget it. (laughs) This relationship is done kind of thing, right? So each person has learned how to communicate what they need. Um, They're still advocating for what they need, like the the dismissive person still takes their time. Mm-hmm. The um, the anxious person still says, you know, I need you. I, I want you to come back. But everybody's had an opportunity to say what they need. And everybody also has practiced a little bit of like tolerance, right? The, yeah. the, the dismissive person has said like, maybe they just always want to go run off into their corner and never talk. But they said, I'm being willing to come back. The anxious person, they want to talk right now, and maybe they weren't, they're not able to do that, but they are willing to say, okay, I can take a minute, I can let you breathe, mm-hmm. um, and I can like tolerate the discomfort for a second, knowing that at some point we'll come back together and we'll have this conversation. Right. So if you're in a relationship and you have an attachment style, can your attachment style possibly change due to... Yeah the partner that you have and their attachment style? Yeah. um, I mean, I think that I don't, well, yes and no. Okay. (laughs) I don't know if we're, if people are going to 100% change categories, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I do think that people can learn frustration tolerance. I do think that people can learn, um, you know, how to be vulnerable when they want to shut down or how to be open and honest when they want to run away. Um, So I think that less 
you know, less real, it's less realistic to think that you're going to totally completely change your attachment style Mm -hmm. than it is to say, there are ways that I can learn how to show up in a different way so that I can meet my partner's needs as well as my own simultaneously. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that those are like what we talked about a, a couple of minutes ago, like learning how to identify what you're feeling, talk about it, talk about your fear or talk about your worry or talk about what you want to avoid and then asking for what you need. I think that, you know, that is something that can help you show up in a healthier way and in a way that is actually calming to you even though it's approaching something that you may not want to necessarily approach. So like if I'm a person who's anxious, me saying to my partner, okay, I'm going to let you have your time. I'm going to let you pull away for a little bit. That it, it stirs up my anxiety, Mm -hmm. right? But I'm doing it artfully. I'm doing it intentionally. I'm doing it knowing that there's going to be a payoff in the end. So it may be something that I can sit with. Right. Um, And then knowing then when my partner comes back to me and says, okay, let's have this conversation or then realizing this partner didn't run away and abandon me. You know, they, they took their time and they came back. Um, I mean, you start to see that it's a win, you know? And, and so um, it becomes second nature, you know, for the couples that really, or couples, friends, whomever, Mm -hmm. you know, who really can like walk through the process and be intentional about it. I mean, and those are things that people can learn in couples counseling. Um, there's a type of therapy called EFT, emotionally focused treatment or most emotionally focused therapy that really works on teaching people in couples how to understand their cycle. Right. There's usually someone who's a pursuer and there's usually someone who's an avoider. The pursuer is the person who's anxiously attached. The avoider is the person who is, you know, dismissive or avoidant. And they just do this dance where like, you know, they come after the person, the person pulls away then, you know, and it's this thing. Um, They teach them how to understand their cycle. They teach them how to learn, you know, when they're starting to go kind of down a path that's destructive for the relationship. They teach you how to take a pause and then they teach you how to come back so that you learn how to kind of flow with the cycle and you learn how to like not stay stuck in a particular area of the cycle and and come back together. And that's like attachment. That's attachment work, really. Mm. That's attachment work. They give you the language. They teach you how to make your, your your needs known. They teach you how to make space for your partner's needs. They also teach you that, like, there's no wrong way to be. Like, okay, yeah. this is who I am. You know, my I'm the sum total of my experiences. I do some things that sometimes are unhelpful, but there are other things about me that are great. Let me just recognize who I am, figure out how to, you know, be true to me and also meet my partner's needs. And like, we just learned this to do this dance together in a way that's harmonious. So. Mm, it's so interesting. I love human psychology. <laughs> I absolutely yeah. do. I just find it fascinating. Cause I'm like, there's certain people that walk around. And I'm like, your total textbook behavior. I love it. And I absolutely understand <laughs> you, but you don't even have to say anything to me because I see you. <laughs> I just love it all. It's so interesting. At www.digital.com, you'll find the Women Who Rebrand podcast and bonus content to accompany each episode. Plus, between episodes and season breaks, you'll get access to informative articles and personal stories about health and wellness, relationships and careers. Take a journey with us to become your most authentic self because you matter. Join
Join our online community on Instagram and TikTok at WWR Digital. Um, in terms of attachment style, can that affect the way that you show up in different areas in your life, like your friendship or the way that you parent and interact with your children? Yes, I mean, certainly. So attachment style, I mean, often we talk about attachment style in terms of romantic relationships, mm. but it really is the way that we approach all all relationships, you know? So yes, in friendships, um, you know, I'm sure we all have friends that we're like, oh, that person is kind of cold or that person is kind of distant or that person doesn't really like to share of themselves, you know? Um, and we may find ourselves wanting more from that person um you know that's based on attachment styles you know or what you want from that person is based on your attachment style and vice versa same thing with children you know um you're a mom i'm a mom you know um the way that we show up in a relationship in our relationship with our children you know sometimes it's because we had a great childhood and we're like oh i want to do that other times it's because we didn't and we're like i don't want to do that but also you know um like parenting is messy and especially when your kids are young and, you know, they're crying for everything and <laughs> attention and, you know, that can start to like impact on, you know, how comfortable you are with intimacy. Right. Mm. You know, love kids when they're like pretty and, you know, they're well behaved. But what about when your kid is like crying? Because <laughs> Remember this, my daughter was like eating a piece of toast. And she was crying because the piece of toast was getting smaller. Oh. And I'm like, yes, because you're eating it. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm she was like three or something. I was trying to explain it to her. And I'm just like, yeah, well, this is hard, right? You know, yeah. and I realized like part of it was funny because part of it was like, oh, my God, the mind of a child. Another part of it was frustrating for me because I was like, oh, my God, like, why is she like emotionally like you know, and, and so that started to kick up my own stuff. Right. Mm. And so it's funny, as I was doing a little bit of reading and in preparation for, you know, this talk today, I was thinking a lot about like how I show up as a parent and I was like, Oh, is, is there anything I need to like tweak? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to scar this child. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's how we approach, you know, it's how we think about intimacy it's how we think about ourselves. Do we feel that we are worthy? You know, do we feel, um, you know, do we esteem, do we hold ourselves in high regard? You know, because the person who's anxious, you know, they're anxious because they feel like often because there's something wrong here. And mm. because there's a problem with me, you know, anytime I do anything, this person may run away or this person may want to abandon me. Right. And so certainly the messages that we send to our children about how important they are or um, that it's okay. You know, we, I accept you in your happy moments. I accept you in your sad moments. I accept you in the moments where you can regulate your emotions. I accept you in the moments when you're crying about a piece of toast, <laughs> you know, um, those, all of those things shape how, how people think about themselves and then mm. how they in turn show up in their interpersonal um, relationships. So, yes. so is that how we would kind of in terms of parenting because obviously as parents we want to teach our kids everything I just want my little humans right. to be the best adults in the world and just be yeah. completely 100% prepared which right. is never going to be the case but we can try so mm -hmm. is that the sort of things that we should do as parents to 
foster healthy attachment styles for them when they get older? Um, I think the thing that we need to do as parents um, is to take time for the feelings, right? Mm. So oftentimes, you know, um, like our child is crying um, or we've told them, no, you can't do this or, you know, we have to stop this and do that and they get upset and, and we're so upset about the expression of emotion, right? That we're like, well, you know, it's time for homework or I'm sorry, like, you know, you can't be playing with these toys or whatever. Um, and those things are important because like homework needs to get done. And, you know, um, it's important that, you know, kids learn to clean up behind themselves. So those things are important, but so is the emotional expression um, and the emotional reaction to whatever we've said. So mm -hmm. me taking a moment to allow my child to be sad, even if she's sad about something <laughs> that I said or something that I did, is not me like coddling her or is not me, um, you know, being like a softy parent or not teaching her discipline. It's okay to say, you know, I can see that you're really upset about this. Or um, it's okay to say it's really hard to stop doing something that you're enjoying to do homework, you know. And I understand it's frustrating. Um, it's okay to reflect back to them what you see about them, about their, you know, their emotional experience mm -hmm. in the moment. It doesn't mean that she's not going to do homework or it doesn't mean that she's not going to clean up. But I think we think that if we pay attention to the emotion or we give space for the emotion to be expressed, that we're somehow like, you know, teaching kids that they don't have to take responsibility or, um, you know, we're just like giving too much space to the emotional piece. But the giving space to the emotional piece allows them to work through it mm. and then do the thing. You know, um, when I say to my daughter, like, I can see you're really upset right now, or, you know, I know it's really hard to whatever it is, you know, sometimes that's enough for her to just be like, oh, okay, she heard me, you know, she, yeah. she understands. Um, and sometimes it's like, I know we don't want to do the homework, but guess what? This is how we learn how to read. And this is how we learn how to do math, you know, um, it's important, you know, so the way that you give your kids space to have emotions, good, bad, indifferent, really influences, you know, how they begin to think about themselves, how they learn to regulate their emotions, and that in turn impacts attachment style. Mm. So just showing up and allowing them to have those conversations and feel those feelings in that moment and just work through it. That's a that's a tool in itself. That's a life lesson, surely, because I guess if you don't know how to regulate your emotions or even feel comfortable with your emotions that can really set you up for failure in the future because I have met so many people that can't even cry or just feel uncomfortable with different emotions or even anger like anger is so natural allow yourself to feel anger because it might come out in frustration or in different ways right right yeah um I think that um First of all, children do not know how to regulate their emotions. Yeah. It's our job as parents to teach them how to do that, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can't teach a child how to regulate their emotion if you don't know how to regulate your own. <laughs> right? Absolutely. In the moments when I've like probably, you know, not been as sensitive as I should have been with my daughter or not been as caring or, you know, not shown up in the way that I really wanted to, it's because 
whatever she was saying or whatever she was doing, like created a reaction in me that I didn't like take a moment to acknowledge. Right. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I find myself getting like annoyed or finding myself getting angry. And then I have to be like, okay, Ayana, like take a moment, you know, breathe. Sometimes I'll say to my daughter, like, you know what? I just need to go into the room for a second, or I just need to have five minutes to myself because I'm too like all over the place emotionally when that's happening i'm not regulated how can i help her regulate right so mm-hmm. it's me acknowledging my own feelings it's also me apologizing you know this morning my, i was getting my daughter ready for school and i can't remember what it was but whatever i felt like she wasn't listening and I, we were like running up against the clock i said something to her and i kind of raised my voice and she's like you don't have to yell at me <laughs> And I was like, you're right. I was like, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. I, I got a little frustrated. Um, but you're right. I didn't have to raise my voice and I apologize. Hmm. That right there is teaching her how to regulate her emotions, like realizing, okay, I, I, maybe I wasn't thoughtful. You know, I let my anger or my frustration get the best of me, but if I can come back from that. I can make amends. It doesn't mean that that interaction or, you know, the nature of that interaction has to color the whole rest of our day. You can take a pause process, make amends and move forward, you know, in a, in a different way. Mm. Um, so, you know, even me like knowing what I know and being a psychotherapist, it doesn't mean that like I'm a perfect mom (laughs) or I'm a perfect wife. Um, you know, but I, I do try to get in touch. And when I feel like I'm avoiding, I'm like, okay, What's happening here? Like, slow it down. Yeah. Yeah. So could you explain um, the concept of codependency? Because I think that sometimes gets intermingled with attachment styles. And sometimes I don't really actually understand what it is entirely. So could you care to explain? Yeah. So codependency is essentially feeling like you're not okay on your own. Right. And that you kind of like need a person to um, like complete you, you know, Um, a lot of times it's discussed when we talk about like substance abuse um, and the person is like, um, like, let's say you're an addict and you need someone in the relationship to like provide you with like the money or the drugs or something. But it really it's not just it's it's not just that. you know, it's when people become so highly invested in each other that they kind of, to some extent, cease to be their own person mm. and that they can only really feel safe and secure or like, you know, life is stable when they experience life in the context of that person. So, you know, I'm sure we all know people who they're always in a relationship, right? they end a relationship and like a month later they're with somebody else. And it's mm-hmm. not only that they're like dating, it's like, Oh, this is the one, you know, <laughs> and they right. hook up with the right away. And it like, it's the love of their lives. You know, I, I, those people are probably codependent because they don't know how to just like be by themselves and say like, I'm okay. Um, existing as an independent person. So that like, pursuant, I mean, that pursuer and avoider kind of dynamic Mm -hmm. is often in codependency where the person doesn't feel like they can survive really without this, this partner um, or this spouse, wife, whatever it is, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how do clients become 
more self-aware and recognize codependent patterns or styles that they've developed? So, I mean, I think the the easiest way to find out if you're codependent <laughs> is to ask yourself, um, you know, am I satisfied in this relationship? And that doesn't mean that, you know, the relationship has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, do I feel like overall this relationship is meeting my needs? And if the answer is no, and you feel like, but I still need to be with this person, or um, I can't do anything to try to change the dynamics of this relationship, or I can't imagine my life without this person, then you're probably codependent because the relationship is not working for you mm. in many ways. It's not giving you what you need. It's not meeting your basic needs yet. And still, you're so attached to this person that you can't imagine creating distance or creating new boundaries um, and being okay. Mm, wow. I'm just doing that because I know a lot of people that, <laughs> that, that, um, yeah. Like, yeah. And, you're like, and I was codependent in this relationship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. <laughs> um, so how does, so if someone is, has been like, okay, I recognize that. How yeah. do they work on changing? Because obviously, well, I'm thinking, like you said, it comes with that anxiety and not wanting to be alone. But if that feeling is so encompassing and, you know, they're in a relationship that's not even working and it's doing absolutely nothing for them, how can they start changing that, really? Yeah, so one of the best ways to work on um, counteracting codependency is to begin to create boundaries. Mm. Um, which is hard work. <laughs> um, but it's beginning to say no when you want to say no. Um, it's beginning to say, I'm not sure. It's beginning to say, this didn't make me feel comfortable. Um, it's beginning to say, um, I don't like when you speak to me that way. Or no, I don't think I can do that, or this would not be good for me, so I'm going to have to, you know, say no. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really beginning to set up parameters around yourself and around your person that make you feel safer and make you feel better, you know? Right. Um, so, and that can be difficult because, you know, depending on how we were raised, you know, first of all, for many people, you can't say no to your parents, right? Your parents are like, this is what it is. And you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it's something that people sometimes have to learn, you know, as they get older and that they become more dependent, they have to learn that it is okay to say no. It is okay to say, I don't like when I'm spoken to that way, you know, so it can, for some people really mean doing a 180 in terms of like, what's the appropriate way to show up in a relationship or if somebody loves you and they want you to do this or they want you to do that. Like it's, it doesn't mean that it's bad if you say I'm not comfortable with that or I don't want to show up in that way. Um, so, you know, creating boundaries, I think is step number one. Mm -hmm. I think step number two is also like learning to be by yourself. Um, and that doesn't always mean that you have to like break up with, the person, if you're in a relationship or you have to like, you know, end the friendship, if it's a friendship, but if you're always with this person, 
and you have no interest of your own or no things that you do that are just you, that's problematic, right? Mm. So take some time to say, what would I like to do? Or, you know, if, if there are things that you want to do with, with your partner or your friend and they're like, no, I don't want to do that. Do it anyway. Do it on your own. You know, um, take time for yourself. Take time to get to know you. Because sometimes the way that we show up in relationships is so fear-based. Because we're like, if this person doesn't show up for me in this way, my life is going to be a disaster. And then we're like, "Mm, that's not true, right? Let me see what it would be like for me to do this on my own. Or let me see what it would be like for me to say no. Um, And it's not a disaster, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's actually something we can stomach or it's actually something that we can tolerate. It might actually be something that we can enjoy, you know? So it doesn't always mean that the relationship is doomed, you know, when you have to like cut it down, cut it down. <laughs> but, you know, is it hard sometimes to change the dynamics of a relationship? Yes. Is it possible? Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but if you feel like you need the person and you're addicted to them, like they're an addiction, you're codependent. Yeah. Red flags. Red flags, yeah. right? Red flags. Yeah. So in terms of relationship mm-hmm. and you're in a codependent relationship, but you started placing the boundaries, etc. But yeah. there's no change on the other side. Cause obviously there's, there takes two to tango or three or four in some cases. Um, mm-hmm. What can we do if that person isn't receptive? Is that when the relationship has to end or, you know, what, what measures can we take? Or are they like, I don't know, cunning tricks if I was in some kind of a comedy soap opera. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly if you feel like you're codependent and you're in a relationship with someone um, and the way that you're showing up is, um, you know, for you is problematic, you know, you can attend counseling, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and you can see if there's a way that, you know, as a unit, you can, um, you know, work towards a a healthier dynamic, Um, you know, and Lots of couples go to couples therapy, you know, family members go to family therapy. So it's, it's not like impossible. Mm. Many people feel that they benefited from couples or family therapy. So it's possible. Um, But I think that if you have consistently tried to put boundaries in place and maybe you've tried therapy or, you know, you've tried having discussions with, with your partner, your friend or your family member, um, and no matter what you try to do, you don't feel like the dynamics of the relationship are changing, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not healthy for you from an emotional perspective, then yes, probably that would be a sign that it, it, it can't endure mm-hmm. you know? and mm-hmm. you can't keep doing the same thing because something's got to give, right? Yeah. Sometimes that happens in relationships where there's one person um, or one part of the the group or the unit that's like wanting to do the work and then the other person doesn't or maybe just doesn't know how. Mm. Uh, and oftentimes that's when, you know, things, things um, break or, you know, the relationship becomes broken because one person's moving forward or try, at least trying to get healthier and the other person is not moving at the same speed. Right. Ooh. What type of um, attributes should people in this situation look for in a therapist? And would it be a therapist or a coach? 
Um, it could be either one. You know, I do both, right? Okay. So um, I have a degree in clinical social work and, and um, like, certifications that, you know, make me um, able to, to provide, you know, um, psychotherapy and, you know, licenses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, the difference between therapy and coaching is that therapy is really concentrating on like a diagnosis, whether it's depression or whether it's anxiety um, and really trying to treat the symptoms of the diagnosis. Right. Sometimes, oftentimes that work involves like a look at like a historical analysis, um, talking about how you grew up and, you know, things like that. Um, but you're really trying to treat s- symptoms and like a set of feelings or a set of like experiences from an emotional perspective. Coaching mm-hmm. on the other hand is very um, like results driven, right? Mm-hmm. So like somebody might say, like I do some coaching, I do coaching called getting out of my own way with, with, with women, which is like, it's designed for women who, um, you know, say like, I should be doing something more with my life or I, I feel like, you know, life is okay, but like, I want to do this or I want to be there. And then they feel like every time they try to do that, they like get in their own way. Mm. So coaching would be like, well, why are you doing that girl? Like, whereas <laughs> 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 the therapy would be like, so what, you know, what came up for you when you thought about putting that boundary in place? Right. Right. It's kind of like a, you know, you might get to the same place, but going down different avenues. Okay. Um, I think what you want to look for when you're, you know, trying to find a professional, whether it's a coach or a therapist, is someone who, one, you know, you feel like they're knowledgeable, you know, so it's okay to ask about people's educational training or their certifications. I always tell people when I meet with like a prospective client, like ask me anything. I don't care. Ask me how long I've been practicing. Ask me what school I went to. Like, it doesn't intimidate me. I'm going to give you the answer, you know, and either the answer is going to be enough for you or it's not, you know, but certainly you want to know that the person has some experience. Um, you want to know that it's a person who feels like they can, you can relate to, right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a black woman. Um, I strongly believe that like people should work with people who look like them or have similar, you know, um, cultural heritage or, you know, um, life experiences. Do I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, as a black woman or as a black person, you can never work with a white coach or a a white therapist? No. Do I think that it's oftentimes easier because there's a certain degree of your experience that you don't have to explain? Yes. You know, but more than any of that, like, is this person, do you get the vibe (laughs) from this person that they're going to give you like a real answer, um, that they're going to be honest with you, that they're going to be non-judgmental and empathic, but also when you need to be told, like, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> one of the biggest compliments that I've ever gotten from, from a client was I had a client who was like, you know, I love the way you gently read me. <laughs> Um, and I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, you know, she was like, you know, she's like, you're very kind. And she's like, you know, and I don't feel judged by you. She's like, but you know, you tell me when I'm like bugging. And I'm like, yeah, because sometimes I need somebody to be like, girl, stop. Yeah. 
people, you know? Yeah. So you know that the person is going to be honest with you and they're not going to be afraid to, you know, maybe rub you the wrong way a little bit or maybe, you know, get under your skin a little bit, but it's going to be giving you some truth, you know? Mm. And certainly you want to know, like, if you're going to coaching or you're going to therapy for a specific reason, you know, does the person have that, like, do they have that in their profile that they've worked in that area or that that's their expertise? Because then you're more likely to be able to get the results you're looking for. Absolutely. And I, I've, I'm no stranger to therapy. I've, I've been to therapy loads of times. As I said, I love it. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, let me learn more about me. I'm yeah. About- <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> but yeah, the, the whole kind of, cultural difference because I did see a white therapist um I'm in the UK so there's not many um black therapists out there and especially where I live as well I don't live in central London but it okay. it, it did get to the point where it's like I think there was kind of that not misunderstanding just just didn't understand that cultural thing especially yeah. with like um the way that was brought up and the interactions I've had and um things that I've experienced in the past with racism and stuff there was just yeah. that kind of she just didn't quite get it so I felt like in that session I went away and I didn't feel like I kind of wanted to got to discuss what I wanted to discuss in a way so that relatability I think is definitely important Yeah, I'm a black woman, you know, my family is primarily from the South. Um, You know, Mm. my husband is, um, his parents are from the Caribbean, right? So both of my parents are black. My husband, um, his mom is Jamaican, she's black, his dad is Trinidadian, he's Indian. So, you know, culturally, in some ways, we're very different. Mm. Um, It's not like, I know, because I'm black, like, I know every single thing about every single black person. No, no, that's not the case, right? My husband had to teach me about his culture and I had to teach him about mine. At the same time, as Black people, you know, living in the United States, there are certain things and certain experiences that he and I have both had that we don't have to explain to each other. You know, there are times when, you know, we have an experience in a restaurant or outside and we're like, okay, we know what that was about, right? And so that, ability to not have to translate is is good for us but even if i don't encounter even if i don't have that like all knowing you know um quality when i'm working with my client if a client says you know this was my experience then i'll be like well tell me about that mm-hmm. or you know, or what was that like for you or what do you think was going on and i think too often what happens when um people are not working you know with um you know people who are similar to them culturally or racially racially or ethnically is that it's like well how do you know that was what that was about right okay Mm. I know that's what that was about because I'm a black woman I'm 46 years old I've lived in New York my whole life almost you know I know this person was talking to me like this because I'm a black woman yeah yeah well the inquisitiveness or the willing to take the client you know um at their word is it really important because then that sends the message to the person like I I know I hear you I understand what you're saying. And I'm not here to dispute your reality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I could speak to you for another 10 hours if I could. (laughs) I don't think I can afford it, though, to be honest. (laughs) Um, So as someone who deals with so much intense emotions and everything from everyone, you're just receiving that energy constantly um, from clients. 
as a mum, as a partner, as a dog mum, how do you, (laughs) how do you just keep yourself whole and focused and balanced whilst taking that energy? Yeah. Well, it's not easy. You know, I don't want to say that I'm always like great at that. Right. I think to, to, for me to say that, you know, there aren't moments where I get out of balance, that would be un, you know, untrue. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have to think about myself. You know, there are times when I'm like, okay, well, you haven't done anything for yourself lately. Or, you know, like this weekend, I like did a bunch of nothing, you know, and that's something that normally I would feel guilty about, you know, but there are times when I'm just like, oh, I'm tired or, you know, I, 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 I'm thinking about this or I'm anxious about this. It's okay to do nothing. So I have to give myself, you know, an opportunity for self-care. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in therapy every week. Um, I have a coach. Wow. <laughs> um, my coach is, um, she does like spiritual work and stuff. Um, so I do therapy and coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a spiritual practice. I have best friends that I see, you know, um, and I think I try when I realize that like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm being snappy or I'm being run down. I try to be intentional about re- restoring the balance. Um, you know, my dog, unfortunately just passed away a couple oh, of weeks ago. I'm sorry. Yeah. And she was like my, she was my, I always said she was my business partner. Right. Mm. And so I feel like for me, it's very important for me to have, um, a dog or two or three. (laughs) Um, so I know that I'll get another one, you know, when the time is right. I think for me, like a dog, having a dog really like restores balance for me because dogs are so pure and hard. They love you for who you are. And I think that that's really a reminder for me that like just the way you are, somebody really loves you and really adores you. And so that's important for me. Um, so being a dog mom is a part of my wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you know, I know that I'm off balance when like my shoulders are hurting or I have a headache. And those are times where I might say like, okay, it's time for a vacation. Or, you know, I don't like to do it often, but there are times when I have to say like, you know, I'm, I'm going to rearrange my clients for this day, right. not because I'm like on death's door, but because I'm just exhausted. Yeah. Um, so I try to honor myself and um, I try to keep boundaries in place. And when I realize that like the dynamics of this relationship are a little skewed or a little off or something is not working for me, as hard as that is, I speak up about it. Brilliant. You know, yeah. yeah. That's good. That's good. I love it. Thank you so much. I can't believe how quick it's gone. I'm like looking at the time. I'm like, what? I want to learn some more, please. (laughs) Um, So do you work with clients overseas? Do you work online? Yes. So all of my, um, all of my um, work is done virtually. And so thankfully, like when the pandemic hit, I was already working virtually. So I didn't have anything to adjust. Um, And that's just because it works. It works for me. And also it's easier for people to not have to like get on a train or get in the car and get on the bus. Um, So in a therapeutic capacity, um, I'm licensed in the state of New York. And so for me to, you know, work with people in that capacity, they need to be like New York based. But my coaching, you know, I work with people from everywhere all around the world. 
Um, coaching is not limited by state. It's not limited by country or county or anything like that. So certainly, um, you know, sometimes my clients will like be in like Jamaica or yeah. wherever, you know. Um, so in that sense, it gives me the ability to work with people from everywhere. And um, it's exciting. You know, sometimes people are like meeting with me and they're like, I don't know, on the beach or whatever. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So I'm open to working with anybody. Um, you know, and if somebody approaches me and they're not in New York, like I try to find a capacity to work with them in coaching so that, you know, um, it's legit, mm-hmm. um, but they're getting what they need. Okay, fantastic. And where can our audience find you if they do want to find out more or they would like to work with you? Yes. Um, so my website is just my name and my credentials, which is Ayana Ali LCSW.org. So that's A Y A N A A L I L is in Larry, C is in Cat, S is in Sam, W as in work dot <laughs> um, org. Um, they can also find me on, on IG, um, at Ayana Ali LCSW. Um, that's also my handle on Twitter. That's also my handle on TikTok. Um, so you can also just type in Ayana Ali LCSW in Google and I should show up. Yay, the power of social media and the internet. I love it. I'll be sure, obviously, to um, share um, Ayana's, oh, I can never say, it's my... (laughs) Ayana's. I'll be sure to share Ayana's information in the show notes and on the write-up on www.digital.com and you can find all the links and more info about Ayana and also some information about attachment tiles. Thank you so much. I have enjoyed today and I love speaking to people from overseas. I'm like, yay! I love it. Thank you. I love yours. I'm always like watching American TV. I'm like... I wish I had an American accent. So I have an accent. Yeah, yeah, I can tell. I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Women Who Rebrand. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating to keep up with upcoming episodes. Join our online community on Instagram and TikTok at WWR Digital. And stay tuned for our next episode featuring another fantastic guest ready to discuss the most insightful topics. Thanks for listening.